0: Let us pray. What a blessed thought it is, heaven coming down and glory filling our soul. Indeed, there will be a day that we see our Lord Jesus Christ. And Until then, we continue to depend upon His matchless grace. and We commemorate that grace in giving, not from a sense of compulsion, but from a sense of great gratitude. And we do this to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Even Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Schaeffer Theological Conference DVDs are in. And they're in the library. If you would like to uh, go through there and see uh, which ones you might want to take. One at a time. You have the library card there. I received a little note this morning before church. I thought I might pass it on to you get a little levity going here the sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on their way to the church service and why is it necessary to be quiet in church one bright little girl replied because the people are sleeping you <laughs> can't sleep here i wake you up <laughs> Okay, we got a new memory verse today. Are you all ready to say it? It is uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your soul, and lean not on your own understandings. In all things acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I'm so glad I see so many people not looking down at their bulletin. That's great. Okay, um, before we begin, Brett... Hornberg's going to come up and give us some information on a Christian camp in uh Colorado and I don't see him where is he? Well there he is. Okay. Um, you can t- I guess you can turn this mic on he can use it. Okay. There you go. Okay.
1: don't know if I want to be on tape. (laughs) I'm going to give you all a presentation on Camp Arete. Uh, It's a biblically oriented camp in Colorado, as Mike said. It kind of came as an outgrowth of the Schaefer Theological Conference. Um, All these pastors get together and they think about what they can do to help their congregations and one of the things they came up with was a camp for teens where teens could kind of get together, get to know each other see that um, they were facing pretty much the same problems all across um, the United States and so they're actually trying to reach out on more of a national level and they've got um, several churches involved, uh, West Houston Bible Church Robbie Dean's Church. They've got uh, Front Range Bible Church, which is Mark Perkins up in Denver, and um, Preston City Bible Church, which is uh, trying to think of his David Roseland's Church in Connecticut. And really, they've had kids come from all over the country. Last year, they did it, and I've got some slides to show you from last year. Last year, but they had kids come from all over the country. I'll start off with first. It's got a weird name. Uh, camp Arete, you know, you can never have a camp that's just got a normal name in it when you get pastors <laughs> involved, and they think that a Greek name would be good, so we had to come up with a Greek name for the camp. Arete comes from Philippians 4, eight where um, the verse says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, and whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, that's Arete. And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That was the idea they came up with for the camp name. And it kind of has a dual meaning, kind of a pun. If you look at Arete in the English, it signifies a sharp, rugged mountain. So it's done up in Colorado, so kind of got a dual meaning there. The goal of the camp is really to point teens to Jesus Christ and to build their faith and give them some sound Bible teaching. Um, The camp is really a pretty fun and exciting uh, thing for 14 to 18-year-olds, basically is what it's designed for. It's in Grand Lake, Colorado, so if you don't know where Grand Lake is, it's about two hours outside of Denver. Um, They've got a really nice uh, camp up there that um, has got about 20 acres right on the Colorado River, and it's right next to Rocky Mountain National Park right next to the Rappahoe National Forest. Lots of scenery up there. Um, lots of good things to hike and, hike and do up there. There's lots of activities for kids. Um, I thought I'd intersperse some pictures of stuff that they did last year so y'all could see it. Um, um, it's really a, a nice way to get um, kids up to a camp where they can learn that Kids all across the country have the same kind of problems that they have. They deal with the same issues, trying to be Christ-centered in their life. And um, these kids all really came together and had a great time up there. They get Bible lessons uh, every day. They get to go hiking pretty much every day. They get some pretty good, pretty good hiking experiences. I think I got some pictures of them in here. Um, they're up in the mountains. They're in streams. Um, on hikes. You can't see that one really good, but they're, uh, they're swimming in the stream that's coming off the glacier, and that is one cold stream. So <laughs> You're not hearing their screams, but I guarantee you they're screaming. It's up in Colorado, so it's nice and cool, so you can have fires every night. Um, and then we had uh, Bible lessons every day. They do them out on the hikes. They do them at the camp pretty much everywhere it's pretty nice because the kids get to do all their hikes and stuff and yet they get bible teaching interspersed with that um, had a lot of fun um, here you see the they kids put on a, a skit on Thursday night the camp lasted a week on Thursday night they put on skits and the kids that won the skit actually got to throw pies in the face of the camp directors <laughs> so see they're having a little bit of fun there they had a lot of water balloon fights there, so I put some water balloons in there. And um, I don't know what they're doing there. I think they're just looking at the camera. <laughs> these are the these are the guys that are teaching up there this year. Um, you might or might not recognize all of them. Um, the one that put it together was Jeff Phipps from uh, West Houston Bible Church. Uh, Mark Perkins from Front Range Bible Church is pretty much hosting it. And then we've got several others there. Um, uh, it's a pretty affordable camp. Um, it's $325 for pretty much everything except the travel to Denver. And if anybody here was interested, they actually have two 15-passenger vans going from Houston on July 14th, and um, no cost for that. So generally, you could get up there for $325 and have your whole week paid for. Um there's some information there on who you might contact. If anybody's interested in that camp, I'd be glad to give you all that information. There's also a scholarship available. scholarships available. If somebody doesn't think they can afford it, you can fill out some paperwork, and um, they'll pay for 225 of the camp cost, so it really costs you only $100 out of pocket. Um, I wouldn't really to go over all their beliefs. They're basically in line with what Country Bible Church believes. And those are just the people that are pretty much organized in the camp. So if there's anybody that you, that you, you know want to get a hold of, that would be the people generally get a hold of. You're welcome to get a hold of me, but those guys are really organized in the camp. And that's about it. Okay. Thank you. Any questions? Yeah, yes, they are. They are. I've thought about putting some pictures in there of that, but I thought, you know, I want this presentation to be short. I don't want to take up all the Bible teaching time. So,
0: Well, I'm sure that we'll have those uh, there by next Sunday anyway, maybe. Don't forget your little monster there. that. I think y'all need to consider that, especially if you have teenagers. And of course, uh, if you have a teenager that uh, has a friend that would like to go, that's not a problem, is it, Brett, for them to bring friends along. So sometimes they may feel a little more comfortable if they uh, bring a friend. Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of naming privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins Which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace system of perception whereby we can understand the whole realm of doctrine because of your grace, not because of our IQ or our education. All we have to do is add our positive volition to the mix, and you take care of all the rest. We pray that you will help us to focus this morning. We will be able to feed and feast on the manna from heaven this morning, for we pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, we've gone through three chapters in our review of Joshua. If you want to make a little notation somewhere, I've got the heading for each chapter. Chapter number one is encouragement. That's essentially what it's about. Chapter number two is about Rahab. Chapter number three is where we ended last time, which is, well, nearly ended, which is crossing the Jordan. Boy, what a wonderful illustration we have. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan, essentially what they were doing was using their volition to fulfill God's plan for their life. It was God's plan for them to go into Canaan and have victory over the... Canaanites and all the peoples that live there. It would have been very easy for God just to decimate and destroy all those people in Canaan, the promised land, and let the Jews just go into the land and start having, a, enjoying the milk and honey. But He didn't do it that way because God always has a purpose in His plan, and His purpose for them to go over there while they were still very powerful and to cross uh, what seemed to be an incrossable... You just couldn't cross the Jordan at that time. It was a flood season. Some say it was at least a mile wide. All that was for a purpose, and it has to do with trusting the Lord. And before we finish out this chapter 3 in our review, I want to concentrate on trusting the Lord And one element of trusting the Lord that I wish wasn't there, maybe sometimes you wish it wasn't there, and it has to do with waiting. Any of y'all like to wait? I don't know if anybody likes to wait, and there are some people like me that just wish it wasn't in the vocabulary. When Joshua moved the people up to the edge of the river, they didn't know how they were going to cross. And what did they have to do? Wait. For three days they had to wait. And they would see that river. They would see that current. And they, was, they were wondering on the other side, what, possess, what, what what are we going to get into on the other side? And you know what might have been going through their mind. It's not, it's not a might. You know it was. They were thinking, why do we have to be here? Why do we have to be here at this time? Other people don't have to face these kinds of problems. And here we are. And I wish they they wished that they were anywhere except there. And... That's what brings us to this uh, waiting issue. And I had a PowerPoint that I was going to show you the next couple of things, but I had my own test this morning. PowerPoint decided, well, this this uh, little drive here it had everything on it. Well, it's toast. And Ken said... Well, just throw it away. I'm going to throw it away right after I have my way with it with a sledgehammer. (laughs) I don't know. I probably won't do that, but uh, this morning I would have. Anyway, uh, what I'm going to tell you is very relevant. For all of us have to wait on the Lord. All of us have issues and problems. Waiting waiting on the Lord um, is hard. You know one thing that makes it hard? What makes it so hard? is when we get our eyes on other people. That's one of the things that makes waiting so hard. We've already learned that the Ark of the Covenant preceded the people up to the river. And, of course, the priest, when their foot touched the water, it parted. They went across on dry ground and the Ark was centered in the middle of the river and everybody was focusing on it. Don't worry about the water. Don't worry about the problem Focus on the ark, which represented who? Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. And that's what we need to do when we're in the middle of our problems. So when we we get our focus on other people, it tends to make us think about our hardships and our troubles, testings we may be going through. And it seems like we always notice they don't have that problem. When you look at other people and you have a test that's ongoing, you're waiting for the Lord, it's an issue that you can't handle. And so you just have to wait for the grace of God to handle the issue. And you look at other people and you think, man, looks like they're carefree. Whatever the issue is, it might be a lot of times it's a money issue. And you look at all these other people, Well, everybody else has money to do that. Everybody else takes a vacation. Everybody has this or that or the other thing. Or it might be a health issue. Well, everybody else, nearly everyone else, they don't have this thing that just shuts you down. They don't have this pain. They don't have this problem. And you start dwelling on that idea, and it's easy to do, and you get the attitude, you know, I've been gypped. I've been cheated. This is not right. Everyone else is living their life and having fun and enjoying the thing. Time is clicking by and I'm stuck. Ever been there? I think all of us have been there. Very familiar ground. When we continue to receive undeserved suffering, I'm not talking about punitive suffering. We know what the issue is there. We need to acknowledge our sin to God and then the suffering that is unbearable ends. Suffering might end altogether, but if it continues, then it's undeserved suffering and it's for a purpose. And that's something that, is, that we have to remember. We're not missing out when we feel like we're stuck because of a problem that we can't handle and we're waiting on the Lord. And so, if you're ever going to have the peace and joy that you want, then your attitude is going to have to change. It's going to have to get off of your problem. It's going to have to get off of the other problem. And where do do your eyes go? To the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can't see Him because He's not here, at least not visibly. He's in us. So the way we see Him is through His Word. And so when you have these, this issue and you, you want to have that peace and joy, it's not the peace and joy isn't going to come because your problem is solved. Because that's not really the problem. The problem is your attitude. And you have to adopt this attitude. If the Lord never takes away this suffering... It's okay with me. You have to get to that point. He knows what he's doing. Maybe might be that he's trying to teach us something. But you have to get past that point where you think, if I could only get shed of this problem. You ever heard of that before? Get shed of it? Get rid of it? The problem that nobody else has. Only you have it. And it's ongoing. Until you think, It's okay. The Lord knows what He's doing. My happiness does not depend on the pain stopping. My happiness and joy depends on trusting the Lord and watching His faithfulness. That's what it's about. And we have to remind ourselves of that. Most of you know that this log home over here that is a car dealership now, or I, I guess that's what it is anyway, um, used to be my model home. For about ten years, I sold saw, saw log home, log homes out of that office. And about five years of that, I wanted to sell that log home model. Five, have you ever had something up for sale for five years? And I got to where I got my eyes on the problem. I got. I wanted. I just started pouting. Okay, Lord, you've forgotten me. I had three different realtors. I dropped the first two because I would call them. Well, how's the how's the sales? How's the market going? On what? The log home model out on two ninety. What log home model? Didn't even remember it. See, the problem is that is a great location for a business, but it stinks for a home. It's too close to the highway. And I had so many people, probably a hundred people, say I would buy it today if it wasn't so close to the highway. Now, that, what could I do, pick it up and move it over a hundred yards? I mean, it, it was a, an impassable problem. And I thought, well, I, my life cannot go on as it should until that model so, sells. And until then, I will just pout. I will never be happy. That will show them. Show who? Show God? He's doing it for my good. And it wasn't until finally I got to that point. I thought it would never sell. I got to the point to where I thought, well, um, it doesn't matter to me if it sells or not. It looks like it's not going to sell. But if that's the case, it's okay. And I'm going to quit pouting. I don't know how long it was, but it was a very short time after that. I mean, I, I shut down all the realtors, took down the signs. I thought, I'll just, if this is the way, but if the Lord wants me to continue to have this, then so be it. I think it was within a week, some people came in. It wasn't listed on the realtors. Didn't have any signs. and They said, we'd like to buy this house. <laughs> how do you know it's for sale? It doesn't matter. We would like to have it. What's the price? I told them the price. They said, that's fine. How how many times does that happen? See, what I didn't know was I needed those five years to grow myself. For one thing, to grow spiritually. And a lot of things had to happen for this church to be here. First of all, that that house had to sell. I mean, that model home. I had a development in Chapel Hill. a A lot of things that I had no control over whatsoever. But when I finally got the right attitude, God says, okay, now the timing is right. And boom, 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 boom. Things just started falling into place that I had no control over. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what, I, what would have happened if I would have just continued to want to have a pity party. Uh, I don't know. But what I'm telling you is it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Look at other people. Ha! They don't know what it's like. I don't know of anyone, not one person, that don't have their problems and woes and troubles. If you're waiting to have joy and happiness based on your troubles going away, and get ready for a long, miserable, unhappy, woeful life. And that's what, that's what we see with, with Joshua when, when the people got to the river. And that was only three days. And sometimes the issue that's dominating our soul might not be a long span, but sometimes it is. And that's when we need to wait and get our eyes off of other people and make sure we're right with the Lord. How do we do that? We want to make sure that we confess any self-pity, any anger. I was angry at God. I mean, I, you, might, you know what? We might as well be honest with God when we pray. Look, I've waited long enough. It's time for that model to sell. Now, what's the deal? I might not wait any longer. Woo! Woo! And I'm sure that, you know, God gets a big chuckle out of that type of thing. And what I was missing was the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Especially the long suffering patience type. I had self control on the outside. I would be around people, and they thought I was, well, nobody, nobody's ever thought I was normal, but they thought I was, you know, regular. <laughs> But on the inside, it was just turning, this anger, see. And so we don't want to just brush aside when the people got there and they had to wait because they had no idea how long it would take. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just trusted. And when they trusted, everything changed. When they walked up the far side of the bank of the Jordan River and they went up that incline, not only were they going up on a higher plane physically, they were on a higher plane spiritually as well. And that's what we have to remember. Because when you, when you win that battle, like the Israelites did, they crossed the river. And what can you imagine? You think anybody ever forgot about that? I mean, they probably carried that way in the conscious memory every single day when they crossed the river. And so you do that and you think, all right, boy, I passed it. Now everything's going to be fine. (laughs) What happened when they got to the other side of the river? Do you all remember? Well, yeah, there was armies. Right. The Lord told them to do something that they said, what? What? Joshua, are you sure that that's what God said? But I get ahead of myself. Uh, Y'all saw this already. I didn't mean it to come up, but here you go. This is them crossing the river, going up that incline, that other embankment, getting up on that uh, higher spiritual plane. Oh, by the way, what did they have to do? During those three days, and what do you have to do when you're waiting for God's grace to go into action? Faith rest. I'm so glad that we spent all that time on faith rest now because I don't even have to say anything about it. You already have it in your soul. And so we can press on. Now, when we get to chapter 4, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. This one is a little harder to explain. Chapter 4, remember, the, I don't know if I gave you the, the title or the, what it's about. God presents a historical record. That could be the title or what the subject matter of chapter 4. God preserves a historical record. Now, there are some things that went on that seemed kind of strange. There were guys that were hauling stones out of the riverbed and putting them up on the, on the bank, and there were others that were taking them from the bank and putting them down in the middle of the riverbed. What was all that about? Well, it seems kind of crazy to you understand that God always le- leaves a historical record of what He has done. And that's what this is about. There you go. It's coming up. All right. You got two stacks of stones. First of all, there's 12 stones in each stack. Now, what's that about? You can figure that one out. How many tribes? 12 tribes? 12 stones they took the stones out of the middle of the river. This one is easier to understand, figure out. They took stones that were down in here and placed them up here. Well, the bottom of the river, was, you could say, was a place of death. In other words, the river was the danger. It was the problem. It was the thing that the people uh, had to be protected from was the water. So when you take it from at the bottom, Riverbed, and you take it up here, it refers to, it's it's, it's an 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 analogy to resurrection. We call it current positional truth. We're identified with Christ in his resurrection. And because we believed in Jesus Christ, it's as if Christ says, okay, now these stones are going to be lifted out and they're going to be put on the bank, which shows us that we're going to be resurrected. We have... Uh, we don't have a resurrection body yet, but we, but we will. That's pretty easy to understand. But what about the ones that were taken? Twelve of them and taken and put stacked back in the middle of the Jordan there. Well, that's referring to retroactive positional truth. Now I know that could stick in your mind. Now people don't like to go to church and hear retroactive positional truth. What? Like Well, you've got to give it some name. You've got to give it some title. What did they represent? They represented the fact that when Christ died on the cross, we all as believers died with Him. Now, we weren't there, but in a positional sense, we died. And what does that mean? What what does that amount to? Well, it amounts to the fact that your old sin nature that you have and that I have, we all have one. You know that, don't you? If you don't believe it, ask your spouse. Ask your children. Anybody that knows you very well, just ask, do you think I have an old sin nature? They'll usually tell you. The fact that we were... Identified with Christ's death on the cross means that our old sin nature died in a sense. We still have it, but it no longer has complete control over it, over us. That part is dead. That's what that represents. So, this stack right here shows that they had victory over death. Had, had they all gone into the middle of the river... And God wasn't strong enough to hold that water back. His arms got weak, which is an anthropomorphism. And the water came in, what would happen? There'd be no use for a monument, of stones over here, would it? It's showing that God is the one that has our present and our future. He's got our, our back, so to speak. So we should have no fear because we have victory over death when they went up that other side and they made it, it was as if they were saved out of the clutches of the drowning in the river. This one here again, I just was give you an example was victory over the power of sin okay. you have you can have victory now eventually we will we will uh not have that problem because we'll have a resurrection body. It doesn't have an old sin nature. But right now, we can have victory over our old sin nature because it doesn't dominate you anymore. It doesn't have absolute sway. Why? Because we were identified with Christ in His death, and that's what it, uh, what it amounts to, and that's what this is about. Let's go to a few scriptures. Here's one. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism. By the way, this is a real baptism. Does real baptism have anything to do with water? Yes or no? No. All right. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) No, it does not. It's real. It's not just a, a ritual. Something actually happens. A transformation takes place. So we were buried with Him in baptism, and that would be called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It takes place at salvation, right? We don't have to work for this thing. It's done. When we believe in Jesus Christ, boom, that real baptism, which is an identification, permanently identifies us with Jesus Christ, which some of you will relate to the top circle. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, we are already raised positionally. Do you know that? We're already sitting with Christ in the heavens positionally because of this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ has been baptized into His death? Does this one have anything to do with water? No. This again is a real baptism. It's referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most people, when you say baptism, what pops into their mind? Water. Actually, there are four real baptisms, and only three that are ritual. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what identifies us with Christ's death. And it, we say retroactive because it actually has an impact on our lives now, but it occurred when Christ conquered sin and death at the cross. And the, the victory is that... You're no longer slave to your old sin nature. Well, maybe some of you are. But if you are, it's by your choice because you don't have to be. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. In fact, both God the Father and Jesus Christ indwell you as well. And you are dominated by your old sin nature because you choose to be. It's a a choice. You don't have to be. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. This is that identification. In order that Christ, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That baptism, that identification with Christ, means that we are what? A new creature. We're not the old person. There's three parts to us now. Three parts to us. Body, soul, and spirit. We didn't have that before. And now we are no longer chained to the old sin nature. And that is all because we are identified with Christ. We've been raised with Christ out of that mire. Verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, and that's see where it says first after if? That means in the Greek it's a first-class conditional clause, which means maybe we haven't, maybe we have. No, it doesn't mean that. It means yes, we have been. How do you know that you were baptized with the Holy Spirit? How do you know that you have become united with Him in the likeness of His death? How do you know that? Right. Uh, not just because I say so. You're looking at it. This is the Scripture. This is how we know these things. And it's important. You know that nobody, if you understand this, you will. no one will ever hear you say, when you are in some cycle of sin, you just keep sending the same old sin, you won't say, well, I can't help it. Have you ever heard someone say that? You parents, have you ever heard your teenagers, when you say, this is wrong, you can't be doing this or whatever, well, I can't help it. That would be a good time to pull this up and say, yes, you can. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your old sin nature no longer dominates you. And that means that now you have another recourse and that is to acknowledge that sin. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and then get on with it. Not the sin, but living for Christ. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. Look at it. Y'all turn to this verse. I, I, I want you to mark in your Bible on this one. We are in Romans chapter 6, and we're, I'm covering verses 3 through 7, but we're concentrating on verse 5. Why are we here? Because I'm describing what happened all, uh, you know, what, 3,000 years ago, approximately, when these Jews were instructed by God to take a stack of 12 stones and put them in the middle of the river. Now, we could just pass right by that, and it might be more convenient, but we'd miss out. The Bible is explaining why those stacks were put there, that stack of stones. So in verse 6, I want you to underline knowing. It's important that you know this. That's why I'm taking the time to go over this scripture, that you'll know this. That stack of stones was a memorial. It was a historical record of what Christ would do on the cross that was yet future, past for us. So it's important that we know. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, That our body of sin might be done away with. Now, done away with in the Greek is the word -er katergeo. K A T A R G E O. And it means rendered useless or ineffective. Our old sin nature was rendered useless or ineffective. It doesn't dominate us anymore unless we choose for it to. That our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And we died to sin with Christ on the cross. Does that mean we're never going to sin anymore? No. We're just a bunch of saved sinners. But we're not sinners in the same way that unbelievers are sinners. Because you could say in a fashion, I guess, that unbelievers, I don't know, whether maybe I shouldn't say this, but at least explain the point. They have somewhat of an excuse to sin because they have absolute domination by their old sin nature. The only two things that an unbeliever can produce is sin and human good. And human good is totally unacceptable to God. That's the only two things they can produce. But you, as a believer, you have no excuse. You have a spirit, a human spirit. And you died with Christ on the cross, and that old sin nature now has been caught or er which means it has been rendered useless, ineffective. Now you can choose to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. An unbeliever cannot, apart from accepting the Bible. Okay. Now you know what the stones are about. A historical record. Do you know that where they crossed the river and where those stones were, some what was it? I have it in my notes here, fourteen hundred years later. Is that what it was? Let's see. Um is about that time frame, Jesus Christ would come and be baptized in the Jordan River. Where do you think he was baptized? What a wonderful place huh? to be baptized, same location. These people received the grace of God and they didn't completely fulfill their plan because the land of Canaan where all these different uh, pagans lived, they didn't completely wipe them out like God had told them to do. So they essentially failed in their mission. Jesus Christ would be identified with that river and with our sins in a ritualistic way when he was baptized, but he would not fail in his mission. And it was along the same, it was at the same place. So the stone memorial also represents a unique spiritual life of the church age believers, which includes positional death and resurrection with Jesus Christ. The monument that was buried inside the water of the Jordan speaks of our retroactive positional truth, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. And when they went up on the land, they went up on the bank on the other side represents our current positional truth. You could call it that, which is, you could call it, Positional resurrection. We don't have our resurrection body yet, but it's already promised. And when you get a promise from God, it's the same as if it's a reality already. The only thing that's separating us from our resurrection body is what? Time. That's the only thing. Time. It's going to happen. And in the meantime, we have the wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord. Okay, that one was a little tough because we were talking about uh, monuments and why they would do these things, but hopefully you understand that God thought it was important for us to think about being identified with His death, being identified with His resurrection. That gives us a personal sense of eternal destiny. And when we're in the middle of these tests and these problems it helps us to think past just a little temporary helps us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what awaits us and some of the spiritual assets he's given us already I don't have much time left but I'm going to take advantage of what time I have so we're going to move on to chapter 5 the title for chapter 5 would be preparing for Jericho they've crossed the river and now they're preparing for Jericho What do you think the Canaanites thought when they got word that the Israelites had crossed the Jordan River on dry ground? What do you think they were thinking? Now, they already ran. They were so afraid when the Jews had reached the Jordan that they ran into their stronghold there, a walled fortress city, Jericho, and they left all their food. They didn't even have time to take the food. They were so afraid. That's before they crossed the Jordan. Now that they crossed the Jordan on dry ground, the Bible says that their heart melted within them. They were in panic mode. I can't say that to blame them. And then in verses 2 through 10 in chapter 5, this is where... Everyone there had a really faith rest. Because I hope you know that when you, go, when you cross the river, for all they knew, there were uh, batt- battalions and, and there was uh, entire armies waiting to get them. Because when they crossed the river, the river started flowing again. They had no retreat. That would be a perfect time to ambush, would it not? They didn't know that that might be the case. And so God told Joshua, he says, okay, now this is, the, this is the time I want you to circumcise all the young men. Excuse me? We're our most vulnerable point here. We don't know what's going to happen. And you want us to do the surgery on all the, the young, the fighters, the, the warriors? You want us to do what to them? That's right. That's what I want you to do. You know what comes to mind when I think of what verse Joshua needed? How about Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. You think I've been a good one for him? I'm sure that he was thinking of those lines because... He ordered it to be done. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought that circumcision started with Abraham and all the young male boys according to Mosaic Law had to be circumcised anyway. What are these, what are these guys running around not being circumcised and they're Jews? What's the deal? When you understand that, you understand why God did it then and why that was significance to it. You see, when the first generation group reached the garden of the Jordan, Kadesh Barnea, they refused to go. They refused to cross. Remember, what God, What did God say to them? All right, back into the wilderness, and you're going to travel along, going nowhere. Going to wander around in that wilderness to every person that is over the age of twenty, except Caleb and Joshua, Moses and Aaron, except those few, are going to die. Your bones are going to be strewn all over the wilderness. And it was during that time, because they were in rebellion, that they ceased to circumcise the young men. It was as they were essentially under a curse. Now, circumcision, as, I don't know, unpleasant as it may seem, especially to the guys, um, was really something that was a great blessing to the Jews because God gave this to Abraham because Abraham had trusted in him and he gave him great promises and great blessings. And the, the mark of this was for him to be circumcised. And this means that he had... Great honor and blessings before God. Now, God would not bestow that on people who are being punished, would He, for 40 years? That's how long it took them for them all to die out. And so they continued to have children during these 40 years. And so by the time they crossed the river... You had all these young men that had not been circumcised, and essentially what God is saying, when they trusted Him, they crossed the river, they got to the other side. This was His way of saying, the curse is removed. Why was it removed? Because they trusted the Lord. That's why it was removed. And so, for God, it's no big deal. The people were worried about the enemy coming in because... The Bible even says that when they were circumcised, they had to rest. They had to stay there for a period of time for all the young men to uh, recuperate. I mean, if they would have been ambushed at that time, what would have happened? The guys were all laid up in bed somewhere or whatever. But they had to trust God. And when you see that, you see what a wonderful honor it was for them to do that. Human viewpoint, militarily speaking, Joshua would think any idiot would know this was the worst time for this to happen. But it was the perfect time in God's eyes and they had to trust that. And they, because they obeyed, then they were ready to go on to the next issue which was Jericho. And they passed the test. Joshua said, okay, guys, line up, let's get it done. I don't know if he said that or not, but I mean, it was done. I'm sure it was done in an orderly fashion. And do you see why it was such an honor and such a great blessing to them? They didn't care about the enemy. God took care of the enemy. There's a wall of fire around them. All they had to do was be obedient. Well, I'd like to go on. They passed that test. And you know what happened the very, by the way, also, they had the Passover. They observed the Passover. And you know what happened the very next day after the Passover? The manna stopped. Remember the manna? What is it? Yeah, that's what it is manna. That's what manna means. What is it? They went outside and all saw this stuff. What is this? And by the way, when the Jews, the first group of Jews who refused to cross the river and God sent them back into the wilderness, did the manna stop flowing for them? No. Did they deserve it? No. What do we call that? Logistical grace. God provided for them even when they were under a curse they were still his children but now you see how everything is changing now that they got the other river other side of the river they got on a higher spiritual plateau they had trusted god and saw his deliverance and his faithfulness he removed the curse that was on the previous generation but then the manna stopped but the food supply didn't You know who provided the food supply? Their enemies, the Canaanites. You see, they were so afraid, they left all their groceries. Left them out, all the things that they had harvested. And say they ate off the fruit of the land because they were too busy fighting fighting Canaanites. They didn't have time to plant and sow and reap and all these other things. Isn't our God wonderful that He takes care of every issue? They didn't need man anymore because God was supplying their needs in a different way now. Next time we're going to... Now that they were, there, all this was in preparation for the attack on Jericho, next week we're going to see the actual attack. Boy, was that neat. We're going, we're going to look again briefly... At something about the number seven. Why is seven so important? Is it important? I mean, they had to. You know what they did? They circled the Jericho, the city. They would circle it seven times. They did it for seven times, uh, seven days. Uh, they had. Uh, they blew their horns seven times. Uh, everything was about seven, and we'll look into that. And it's amazing what our God has done from the very beginning. The 7 is a big a big I think it's a big deal. Most of you know the number 7 means completion. And we're going to hopefully complete that next time. Let's all bow our heads, please. I don't know, everyone here might be believers. But I don't know that everyone Listening to this on the Internet, our believers, I know that anybody that listens to this will be able to identify with looking at other people and thinking they don't have the problems I have, recognizing that if they could just get rid of their problems, everything would be okay, and that's Satan's lie and its human viewpoint. The main problem is where are you going to spend eternity? That can be taken care of here and now. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went to the cross for your sins. He died, was buried, and resurrected. And now He offers sin—excuse me—offers salvation to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And in that moment that you do that, you are born again. You become a royal family member of God. Your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. You have eternal life. You have His own righteousness. Now it's time to get prepared to cross the Jordan and see the faithfulness of the Lord. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here to feed upon Your Word. That it nourishes our souls and gives us that joy, contentment, security, courage like nothing else. We pray that You will help us keep our eyes and our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray it in His name.
1: Amen.